Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Jesus, the love of God. How Jesus truly does reveal the love of God. And so I'm going to start with an illustration. There's, there's two forces. And there's a, there's a centrifugal force and a centripetal force, if you guys are familiar with these forces. A centrifugal force, as you're spinning it, like if I had a string with a, with a weight on the end of it, and I was spinning it, the centrifugal force pushes the object away so that it keeps a constant, perfect circular rotation. These are the attributes of God, per the illustration, that we've discussed so far. His authority, His power, His majesty, those things that make us go, wow, right? That just bring us to a sense of awe. These are the things that cause us, if it weren't for the love of God, to keep a reverential distance from Him. In the uh, book of Exodus, Moses said, Moses was commanded by God to tell the people, have them clean themselves and come to the foot of the mountain. I want to talk to them. And they, they were so overwhelmed with his power and his majesty that they said we don't we don't want to go can you just go and speak on our behalf because they only understood the power that he had they only understood the authority that he had they didn't understand the love that he had and so where these things are the centrifugal force the things that push us away the love of God his mercy his compassion his desire for us and the ways in which he demonstrated that desire is the centripetal force which draws inward, not outward. And so we have to live in this constant state of tension between the two. We have a reverential respect of God's power and His authority and His awesomeness, His wisdom, all the while being drawn into Him and being able to partake of those attributes because of the love that He has for us. And so it, it would be impossible to discuss this series without discussing God's love, because what it would cause you to do is just not be willing to go to the foot of the mountain. And God wants you to come to the foot of the mountain. He wants you to know that in all of those things, He is all of those things demonstrated to us in love. Amen? Amen. And so I want to talk to you about that today. The centripetal force of God, the love of God, out of chapter 5 of Romans. I'm going to talk to you about how he loves us and ultimately our responsibility to it. Because I believe, and I hope that you do too, uh, if you don't, you won't be going to church here very long. Uh, I believe that every, every preaching, every teaching should be met with a challenge at the end. God expects us to grow, to pursue him, to chase him, to, to stretch ourselves, whatever the case may be. There, there has to be a moment at the end of every lesson, every sermon, every small group that, that asks the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the information that you have? And so it, he does love us, but he expects us to do something with the love that he has given us. And so we're going to ultimately talk about that too. And so Romans chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to work my way through 11 today. And it reads like this. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Verse 11, And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Amen. And so let's talk about this. This is the gospel message. I told you guys at the beginning, I think I did, when I got up during worship, I'm going to give you a very simple gospel message today. I don't want to convolute it. I don't want to make it more fancy than it needs to be. I just want us to hear the gospel message that God loves you enough that ultimately He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we're going to do it and explain how it was done through this text. The gospel is so simple to those with ears willing to hear. Which is why I told you I want you to set aside why you think you're not good enough today. I want you to set aside this mistake that you made. Because Jesus Christ in accepting the gospel message does away with all that stuff for you anyway. I just need you to listen. And an occasional amen if you're feeling empowered to do so. Alright? Here we go. I got four points. I got 27 points I'm going to make today. I'm just kidding. I got four points I'm going to make today. I told the first service, I said, this may take 30 minutes and we may be out at 2 o'clock. I don't know, but I'm just going <laughs> to preach the gospel to you guys. And if it lasts 15, so be it. It'll be the most powerful 15 minutes that you've ever had. Not because of what I said, but because of what I read out of the Word of God. Amen? Number one, God's love is seen in Jesus' recognition of our condition. If Jesus reflects the love of God, verse one, or point one, God's love is seen in Jesus... Recognition of our condition. We were and are helpless without Him. I'm going to make this very simple. I don't know how to make it more simple than I'm going to try to make it today. Verse 6 and 7 reads like this. For while we were still helpless. You know what helpless means? If you actually break that down, it means that we were incapable. We were incapable of accomplishing anything for ourselves. So not only were we incapable, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly means the unworthy. So Jesus came, sent by God, to die for the unworthy who were incapable to save themselves. I'll tell you, you can't save yourself. There's not enough stuff that you can do to save yourself. If you rely on your work and your work alone, and I'm going to be very pointed with you today, you're going to end up in a sinner's hell. The problem with most churches in America, not, I'm not going to say most churches, some churches in America, is that they're not willing to tell you anymore that hell is hot, hell is forever, and hell is separated from God. There's a worm that eats your flesh day and night. There's gnashing of teeth. This is a horrible place. The gospel message is delivered to save you from that. I ask people from time to time, what is it you were saved from? And they look at me like I got two heads. You weren't saved from Jesus. You were saved by Jesus, which means you were saved from hell. Amen. If I say I'm saved, I'm literally saying Christ, through the work that He did on the cross, saved me from a separation and eternal hell separated from Him so that I might ever be in His presence. Thank you, Lord. 
But he had to do it. I couldn't do it. Because I was helpless. And according to this scripture, I was worthless. And we see this throughout. We're powerless, weak, without strength, feeble. There's no work that you can do to save yourself. If there was, what do you think that would be? You know what? I'm going to offer God blank, and we're going to be good to go. There's nothing. You're helpless, worthless, powerless, weak, without strength, feeble. I told you guys I've tried to use as many adjectives as I can in this series. And I'm not trying to be on you. I'm not, I don't want you to walk away here with your head down. Because you know what? If you accept Jesus Christ or have accepted Jesus Christ, you are opposite of all of those things because the Spirit of God is living in you. I'm not trying to show you that you're weak. I'm trying to show you that you can be strong. Amen? Amen. But we live prior to Jesus in what's called an unconditional, impossible state. Which means there's no condition that exists that makes it possible outside of Jesus that we would be saved. None. There's no work I can do, no money I can give to the church, no Sunday school class I can teach. But Jesus. So what are we, what are we helpless to do? 1 Corinthians 2.14 reads like this. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Which means that we're helpless to understand spiritual things. Romans 3.11 says there's no one who understands and no one who seeks after God. Because we don't know how to. We, we were blind according to Ephesians 2.1. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't want you to just read past verses for the sake of reading past verses. I want you to stop and think about that. Just as a, So essentially what he's saying is just as a dead man is unable to respond to stimuli, so you too, unsaved, able to respond to God unless the Spirit of God provokes you. You're literally just a lump of flesh here with no ability to understand, comprehend, or accept spiritual things unless the Spirit of God moves on you. But praise God, the Spirit of God is willing to move on anyone willing to submit themselves in humility to who He is. Amen? It says that, it says that it's foolishness. I, think that's, I find that interesting. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. 1 Corinthians 1.18 elaborates on this a little bit. It says the message of the cross is foolish to those perishing. But to those, but those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Foolishness. Why is it foolishness? Imagine if you will. Well, and I've had this conversation with people that aren't saved or willing to be saved. They go, you're telling me, some guy 2,000 years ago that I don't know, doesn't know me, decided to crawl upon it, because first off, they got it wrong, they think he's just some guy, crawled upon a cross and died, and he said, because he died, I can live. That is, it's stupid. You know why? Because they have no revelation, because they got no Spirit of God provoking them. It does seem weird. You're telling me he had to shed his blood so I wouldn't have to shed my blood? It's 2,000 years ago. You're not even talking about my dad. You're talking about some dude 2,000 years ago that I've never met, never going to meet. Well, you're wrong about that. If you submit to the Spirit of God, you'd meet him for sure. 
My point is it sounds like foolishness to the people that aren't being provoked by God. But to those of us that are being saved, it is the gospel message. Which is why it's the power unto salvation. Because as the Spirit of God moves us and shows us that you are worthless, that we are helpless, that we are unable to walk in our own strength, and when we are feeble, but God did a thing, our heart responds to that. It's a great mystery. People say, how is that possible? I don't know. I just know that the Bible says it's possible, and I believe the Word of God. I think most people get themselves in trouble because they try to they try to understand with their finite mind spiritual things, and you can't do it. You have to have these kinds of things revealed to you by the Spirit of God. You've got to have just enough faith to say, I believe that. Which is just enough faith for your healing. Which is just enough faith for your eternity. Which is just enough faith for your salvation. How much faith does it take? Start with this much. God will grow it after that. Just make the declaration. Amen? And so we were helpless, though, to do any of these things on our own. And why did he come? He came because good ain't good enough. This verse continues in 7. It says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. This is what they're saying. Good ain't good enough. You know why Jesus came? Because your philanthropy doesn't mean anything to God. Because the way you love your kids doesn't mean anything to God. Because the work that you volunteer doing for your community doesn't mean anything to God. If you're not saved. If you haven't submitted to the power of God, which is the gospel. So that you might be saved from hell, spend eternity with Him. Man, that's good right there. My papa, you guys hear me tell stories about my papa all the time. And it's because it's, he's the... He's really the man I've tried to model myself over after. He was a hard man. He was tough. No doubt about it. But he showed me what being a man was. Except, I can remember he and I having a conversation one day. Because my granny was like a religious zealot. Right? She, she, she'd do everything she could to try to get us in church, keep us in church, do all the stuff. And I realized then she's just trying to do what I'm trying to do right now. But I, asked, I remember asking him one day, I said, you believe all that stuff Granny says is true? And at the time he wasn't saved, he goes, he goes, I'm a good man. If there's a heaven, I'll get there. And that's just not true. I don't want to bum you out, but God doesn't care about any of those things. God will use those things, but he doesn't care in regards to your eternity about any of those things. Because there's only one way to get to heaven. Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The check you wrote to the church ain't going to get you to heaven. The service you did at Joseph's storehouse yesterday ain't going to get you to heaven. You know what those things are? Those are proofs that you're going to heaven if in fact you're already saved. But they're not going to get you there. Which seems like such foolishness, right? And to the man not being provoked by the Spirit of God, that's exactly what it is. It's foolishness. But to those of us that are being saved, it's the power of God. God, it's so good. Amen. Told you all, I'm going to try to talk plain to you guys today because I don't, I don't know else, how else to say what I'm saying. No one is good. Romans 3, 12b says, no one is good, 
Not even one. Did y'all catch that? None of you, myself included, is good. Not even one. I'm going to give you a truth that you may have heard before, probably have heard before, but just in case you haven't. You're a sinner both by birth and by action. You were born with a sin nature. And you have sinned since you've been born. And because sin is cosmic rebellion to a divine God, you deserve death for that. But God. Verse 8, number 2. God's love is demonstrated in Jesus' compassion towards us. Verse 8 reads like this, but God. Everybody say, but God. God. Two of the most powerful words in all of the text. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, God recognized our condition and did something. Can I get one amen? Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, God did. Because you can't make yourself righteous, God did. Sending His own Son. I have my own but God moment. You guys have, if you've been saved, if you've been giving your life to Jesus, you've had your but God moment. And you may have planned for that but God moment, or you may have not planned for that. Let me tell you, I didn't plan for mine. Mine was in 2006. I walked into the church chasing this young woman right here. Seemed like a decent trade. She said, I'm not going to date you if you want to go to church with me. I was all, that's fair. Right I, At that time, I thought, an hour a week for the chance of getting to make out with this hottie over here. It turned into, you know, many hours a week, but I still get to make out with this hottie over here, so I'm okay. But that's the only reason I was in church. Because she gave me an ultimatum that she wouldn't date me if I didn't go. And I'll tell you, that's the only reason I went to church until the day I got saved. I walked in that church with that attitude. I'm trading this hour for the rest of the week. I sat in the chair. My pastor began to give his testimony. In that testimony, the Spirit provoked me. And I don't know what happened to me. Except that I knew that I knew that I knew. If I died right then, I was going to hell. And I wasn't going to have that. And that Jesus Christ died so that I wouldn't have to go there. And that he loved me enough to have done it. And so there my wife will tell you. There I sat in the chair next to her just weeping. Just a hot mess. Pinned to my chair. You guys have heard me pray the prayer. God pin them to their chair with conviction. So that they can't do anything but respond to, the, to whatever it is you're telling them. That's a prayer from experience. That was my experience. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think. I couldn't, my, my head was spinning. My mind was spinning. My heart was thumping out of my chest. I was like, am I having a stroke or is it Jesus? Yeah. Praise God, it was Jesus. But there I sat. And I gave my life to the Lord. But God had to do it. I couldn't do it on my own. While I was still a sinner, God sent Jesus to Cornerstone Church in the seventh row of section G, first, row, first seat on the left. 
And I tell you, can I tell you, every time I go back to Cornerstone Church for a visit or a meeting or something like that, I always go into the sanctuary and I spend five minutes in that seat thanking God for what he's done in my life. That's how I get my passion back. When my passion wanes, I find the place where God first ignited that passion and I stay there until my passion's back. My whole point, though, is that God did a thing. God did a thing. And what is the thing that he did? He extended compassion to me. You guys have heard me say this on multiple occasions. Compassion is mercy driven to action. God had mercy on you. He looked at you and said, man, he needs some help. You guys ever walk past somebody and be like, man, they're, they're in a sad state. But you kept on walking. That's just mercy. That's not compassion. Compassion has to stop. Compassion has to do a work. And God loved us enough that he sent his only begotten son so that the work might be done. We see, that we see a, a type of salvation in Luke 10, 30 through 37. We see a shadow of what that looks like in the Good Samaritan. 30, again, Luke 10, 30 says, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho it would be beneficial to know in this story for those of you that may not know. And just so you know, I, I know sometimes I, I explain things that everybody in the room's all, yeah, I know that already. But I think we should take the time for the one person in the room that may not know that already. Amen. And so Jesus said, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem, he was a Jew, to Jericho, and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So they took this Jew and they beat him and stripped him. He's laying in a ditch, half naked or maybe completely naked, no resources and dying. And by chance, a priest, a Jewish priest, somebody that you would expect to have compassion on this guy, mercy driven to action, was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Not saying he didn't feel bad about it, but he didn't feel bad enough to do something about it. Likewise, a Levite, also a Jew, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And I'd say he didn't feel bad for the guy. He didn't feel bad enough to do anything about it. But a Samaritan. That's interesting. Because a Samaritan has no business talking to a Jew. More often than not, Jews had bad words in their mouth for Samaritans. They considered them filthy, dirty, unclean. They didn't want to be around them. But regardless, this Jew was different, or this Samaritan was different. Who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. I can't pronounce the Greek word, but it literally means his guts wrenched inside of him. You guys ever seen something so horrific, so tragic, that your guts turned and you know, man, if I don't do something physically about that, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm not going to sleep tomorrow. This is what he felt. He felt a gut-wrenching compassion. This is what God felt for you. He felt a gut-wrenching compassion, provocation to do something on your behalf. Man, that's so good. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Keep Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. He said, so I'm willing to give you whatever it is you need. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? How does this represent the gospel? Guys, we're Samaritans. Or we're not Samaritans, we're Jews. 
Jesus represents the Samaritan here. You know, the, the Samaritan that the Jew always talks bad about? Always blasphemes the name of? Always does something in contradiction to? Here we are in our sad state, beaten, broken, half naked, for the whole world to see the destruction that sin's caused in our life. And past us walks Jesus. He didn't go to the other side of the street for you. He went to the same side of the street that you were in, crawled into the ditch where you are. And just so you know, back then the ditches were where they used the bathroom on the roads between cities. Crawled into the ditch, the muck, the mire, the filth that is your life. Pulled you out of that, dressed you. Poured oil and wine on you to cleanse you. And then brought you to a doctor that you might be completely healed and whole. Golly. God did a thing. But God. And I don't know about you, but I've been that Jew in that ditch. Dirty, bleeding, naked. Needing life where there seemed to be none. And Jesus pulled me up out of that. Washed me clean. Tended to my wounds. Ensured that I became healthy. Why? Because he loves me. Because he loves you. Can you hear the words coming out of my mouth? Because he loves you. He doesn't have love for you like some dude in your neighborhood has love for you. Like somebody at your work walks past you and say, love you, brother. He has love for you that's going to be willing to do something on your behalf to ensure that your condition is bettered. That's the love that he has for you. And not just bettered, but bettered in the best way possible, which is salvation. So not only does it recognize a need, because that Samaritan saw the need, or the Jew, yeah, the Samaritan saw the need, but it also met the need, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. Number three, God's love is demonstrated in Jesus' action toward us. His specific action towards us. Verse 9 and 10 of that Romans text reads like this, Much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Man, that's a mouthful of theology. That's so good. By his actions, we are just... I'm just going to break these verses down for you. Is that all right? Verse 9. Having been justified by his blood. He did a thing. These next two verses talk about what that thing is. You were guilty. Romans tells us that the penalty for sin is death. And there could be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood is what the Bible tells us. Do you hear what I'm saying? Unless Jesus Christ shed His blood for you, you cannot be sinless. Amen. Unless Jesus Christ did the work to justify you, you cannot be justified. What is justified? It means that you're no longer guilty of the sin that you committed. But the justification process by which Jesus saved you isn't just not making you guilty. It's the justification process by where you're no longer guilty so much so that it's as though you were never charged in the first place. Amen. You've had your record expunged. 
It's not even a part of your past anymore. The Bible tells us that when God saves us, He cuts that thing out of us. He places it behind Him. He moves it as far as from the east is to the west. He puts it in the sea of unforgetfulness. Too many of us want to swim in that ocean. For some reason, we keep asking God to forgive us for the same thing over and over and over again, not accepting the fact that you're not supposed to live in that because Jesus Christ died so that you didn't have to live in that. It's crazy to me. And I, and I tell you, I've been guilty. You go back and you say, you, I just asked for forgiveness for a thing and I still feel bad about it, so I pray about it again. And I can't imagine my Heavenly Father sitting at His throne going, What's that brother talking about? Because he doesn't say he's just going to let it go. He says that he's going to forget about it. And God's not a liar. You're carrying around sin God forgot about. You're carrying around shame that, for a sin that God doesn't even remember. Let it go. God loves you enough to not just free you from your sin, but to remove it from you and then put it in the sea of forgetfulness. Stop thinking about it because he's quit thinking about it. Amen. How many of you guys would go to your dad? And say, Dad, I know I busted that window yesterday and you gave me a paddling. I think I deserve a paddling today too. <laughs> that's silly, right? But I feel like that's what we do when we keep telling God the same sin over and over and over again when He's promised to forgive us for that sin. Stop living in shame. And embrace the love that God has for you. But not only that, it says, Having now been justified by His blood... We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. I told you guys, what are we saved from? We're saved from hell. Hell is a place where the wrath of God is poured out. We were once enemies of God's according to the Word of God. But through Christ Jesus, we aren't anymore. That's good. Y'all should be excited about that. Because He paid our debt. He didn't even expect a, a pound of flesh from us. He didn't extract a pound from flesh from me. Did he extract a pound of flesh from anybody in here that's given their life to the Lord? No. Matter of fact, the Word of God says that he had literally the pound of flesh stripped from his body, his own body. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says that he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, was smitten by God, he was afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, Chastened for our well-being, scourged for our healing. You know what the scourging process is? Scourging process is a cat of nine tails with pieces of broken glass or sharp pieces of metal on the end of each one of those strips or claws. There, there were some of them that had little claws on them like that. And when they stripe it across their back, it would hang into the flesh. And they would pull it away and down so as to pull, literally layer the flesh back off of Jesus' skin. He... It was his pound of flesh, not yours. And he gave it so that we would be free from the wrath of God. So that we can be in relationship with God. That's so good. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Hmm. I want to read Colossians 1.21. 1, Twenty-two and twenty, twenty-one and twenty-two to you. Colossians, one, twenty-one and twenty-two. It says, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, who you were alienated from, who were you hostile towards, 
God. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. In order, to, he's talking about Jesus, in order to present you before him, God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Jesus died. This is how we're saved. He died so that we might be able to be presented, covered in the blood of Jesus, holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Perfect, without imperfection, without reproach. He did that for no other reason than he wanted to demonstrate his love to you. Amen? So what have we said today? I've tried to keep it as simple as I know how. We've said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy. All of us are helpless. Unless we're provoked by the Spirit of God. But God provoked us. By taking an action through His Son, Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. And in His death, we were justified, which means to be without sin, without guilt. He removed the debt that we owed through the shedding of His blood, His remission of sin. And He not only did all of those things, but removed us from enmity with God, from conflict with God. Now we're at peace with God. We're, in rec we're reconciled to God. We're family. Ain't that awesome? We're family. Not because of what you did. Not because of what I did. But because of what God did through His Son, Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. I wrote in my notes here, people tell you that keep my notes. I have a pretty distinct outline. And every now and then I'll write my notes on top of notes. And right here all I've got written in big bold letters with underlining three exclamation points. Beautiful. I want you to understand how magnificently beautiful the gospel message is. God could have said, you know what, those guys didn't work out. I'm going to make somebody else. But he didn't. He set in motion a redemptive history for us laid out in Scripture so that ultimately our end may look like His planned beginning. Why? Not because He had to. Who's powerful enough to tell God what He has to do? Who has authority over God? Who has greater wisdom than God? Nobody. He did it because He wanted to. He did it because He loves you. He did it because his love provoked compassion for you. And he did it at his, at his own expense for you. And in it, he gave us a responsibility. Number four, God's love should provoke a reaction from us. Verse 11 reads like this. And not only this, so he says, in addition to all of that, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In this verse, I see two responsibilities of the believer. We are to exult in God through Christ Jesus. Exult means to celebrate, to be joyful, to be excited, to be happy. 
We need to learn to celebrate the salvation that we've been given. We sit oftentimes so stoic as, as we hear about the Word. And there's a place for reverence. I know that there is. But there's times too when I'm in my office, man, and I'm all... I can't do it, but you know what I'm saying. But we get excited. I get excited. I jump around in my office. I, I, I pray in tongues. I, I, I jump up and down. Because when I say it's beautiful, I don't mean it's just, oh, that's cool. I mean, it's beautiful beyond comparison. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate what we have if we want anyone to want what we have. People say, man, I, I was talking to somebody not very long ago and I was trying to tell them they, they're dealing with some health issues, some genuine, legitimate health issues, but that's become their whole focus in life is their health issue. I said, can you focus on the health you do have instead of the health you don't have? Praise God, exult in the health that you do have as opposed to the health you don't have. Can you praise God? Can you exult in Christ Jesus for the money you do have instead of the money you don't have? The family you do have instead of the family you've lost or don't have. The fact that God loves you enough to watch over your children until they come to know you or know Him. We should, well, there's always something to celebrate. If you've got air in your lungs, you should be exulting in Christ Jesus. You should be joyful. You know why? Because our second responsibility is to be reconcilers as we have been reconciled. Which means that we are to tell other people about Jesus. Amen. How are you going to tell somebody about the Jesus that you have that makes you so happy if you're all drop mouth all the time? Well, let me tell you about the Jesus I got, man. He's pretty cool. Nobody's going to believe you. Celebrate. God did a magnificent, wonderful thing in you and then didn't kill you. You know why he didn't kill you? Because he expected you to tell other people about what he did for you so that he could do the same thing to them. Because it's the foolishness of preaching by which people are saved because when the gospel message goes forward, it's the power of God unto salvation. And so we're expected, y'all, I'm not a preacher. You are if you celebrate Christ and live a life worth celebrating. People are going to ask you, why are you always happy? Our company just got downsized. What are you happy about? God's never seen me beg for bread. And I'm, I'm going to trust I'm not going to break for bread tomorrow either. Let me tell you about the guy that gives me that kind of confidence. This is who we're supposed to be. Joyful, happy, celebrating Christ so that we might be able to tell other people about who He is. Thank you, Lord. Amen? But we're not going to be able to do that if we don't know Christ. I'm going to slow this down a little bit. Put my glasses on so I can see you. I take my glasses off a lot of times while I'm preaching. Make sure y'all ain't, because if some of y'all scowl at me and I don't like it, can't see you. You're just heads over here. But I want to tell you the truth. Not everybody in this room knows the Lord. Or if they do know the Lord, not everybody in this room knows the Lord the way that they should know the Lord. Or the way that they could know the Lord. The Bible tells us be careful that we don't drift away. Paul told Timothy very specifically, fan into flame that which has been given on by the land 
given to you by the laying on of hands. The anointing, the Spirit of God needs to be inflamed in us from time to time. If we don't keep that fire burning, it's a matter of time before that fire either goes out or we drift so far away from it we forgot the joy that we once had in it.